0: The next reading of Holy Scripture comes from Mark chapter 7, verses 31 through the end of the chapter. Mark chapter 7. If you will stand for the reading of Holy Scripture. Mark chapter 7, beginning at verse 31. This is God's Word. Speaking of Jesus, Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside, from the crowd, privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue, and looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, "Ephatha, that is, be opened." And his ears were opened; his tongue was released. And he spoke plainly, and Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it, and they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So far the reading of God's holy word. We're thankful for it. You may be seated. And as we turn to consider this portion of Scripture, let us pray for God's help. Almighty God, we are thankful in a world full of messages that you speak. You speak to us in your word, and you enable us to speak, understanding your word, and to speak of Christ and what he's done for us. And we pray that as we consider this instance of Christ blessing this man, that he might hear and speak, that we treasure up in our hearts all the more what this teaches us about who you are and what you've done for us in the gospel. Overcome the deficiencies of the preacher. They are many. And bless the reading and the preaching of your word to bring forth fruit in our hearts, to love you more, to serve you better. We ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, when I was in high school, the, the most exciting kind of, I guess, backyard experiment uh, was to put Mentos in soda bottles, and the, the chemical mixture made it so, yeah, the, the, the soda would fizz almost unimaginably fast and hard. Uh, so that I mean really, if, if you throw this bottle on the ground it would it would shoot up in the air. Um, I may know somehow that actually it 's powerful enough to shoot one over a movie theater. Um, some mixtures are are just uncontrollable in their intensity, uh, and it seems that no matter how hard Jesus may have tried to contain. The surging fizz of excitement about His grace as it mixed with sinners desperate for His mercy, well, He just quite couldn't do it. One of life's hardest aspects is is keeping secret the things that well fill up most of our attention. As hard as we try, we usually end up having our our most treasured things boil out of us somehow. It's like adding Mentos to soda. Here in Mark 7, this closing portion of the chapter, we see how how Jesus healed a deaf man with the effect that this, this guy can hardly contain himself about what Jesus has done for him. The whole crowd was aware of this miracle and was going on about Jesus with increasing zeal, even as Jesus charged them not to speak of it. And so even Jesus' own requests couldn't contain their desire to talk about Jesus. And so we have again Mark's two-fold theme about who Jesus is and what his kingdom is like. We will see again that Jesus is God the Son come in our nature for salvation. And we see also that Christ's kingdom is a kingdom of restoration that wells up for joy in its citizens. The kingdom is led by a king who dispenses delight to his people as he rescues them from the plights of the kingdoms of this world. So we saw last time how Jesus took God's kingdom to the Gentiles, expanding the borders of his covenant people as to make known the true extent of how he would fulfill his divine promises. And his move to take blessings that belong to God's covenant people across ethnic lines was was an act of blowing the borders off God's kingdom to the ends of the earth, claiming for himself as his own, everyone who believes in him. And as Jesus declared all foods clean way back in the first stretch of this chapter, And then he declared all people who come to him by faith clean, regardless of where they're from, clean. Well, we see what effect that has in them today. And so today, Jesus marched that same point forward. Remaining in Gentile territory here, he furthered the expanding nature of his kingdom by by bringing restorative blessings to them. Jesus' root was, uh, as you see it there at the beginning of our reading, was far more roundabout than needed, showing that he meant to be among Gentiles. And he shows us not just the expanding nature of his kingdom, but the gospel nature of his kingdom in the sum of this miraculous healing. What does he do? He gives Gentiles ears to hear. So that we would see how the gospel gives us all hear, ears to hear Jesus as our Savior. So, our main point is that God delights the hearts of His people as He speaks to us. God delights the heart of His people as He speaks to us. And our three points today are the rejoicing. The reason of Jesus' majesty and the reason of Jesus' compassion. So let's think first about the rejoicing. I imagine that the, the setup with the, the Mentos and soda thing has, as an illustration uh, of how those changed by Jesus bubble over in talking about him has, has primed the pump For you to think this sermon is headed towards an application of how excitement about Jesus should motivate you for evangelism. Uh, And although that point is true, that's not where I'm actually going. Because I think talking about you being motivated uh, or excited enough to be motivated to talk about Jesus probably doesn 't actually excite you under motivation, so I want to I think a bit more personally about how this text addresses us in christian discipleship so that so that we see the excitement itself. I, we need to remember again <clears throat> mark 's context what 's he doing? with this whole book he he's recording the gospel account from the apostle peter as peter ended or neared the end of his life and his purpose was to encourage christians who felt increasingly under pressure from their culture and even worried about the possibility of coming persecution and, and so we need to keep our reflections for what mark calls us to do Grounded in his purposes to encourage the church. And and what I want us to see here, first and foremost, is that Mark is pressing upon us that belonging to God's kingdom gives us reason for rejoicing regardless of what's happening in the earthly kingdoms around us. Mark is not merely giving us a snapshot of how, of how gratitude for what Jesus does for us motivates us to tell others about Jesus. He's not just giving us a snapshot of that. He's, he's also showing how our citizenship in God's kingdom affects us at the personal level. Well, when we reckon with how amazing Christ's blessings for us are, well, we start to see that there's a wider network of where we exist than just the culture that can seem overwhelming. Peter wrote to Christians languishing under a pressurized and Increasingly oppressive society presenting this man's reaction to Christ as nonetheless bubbling over with joy about the things of Jesus. And I think that provides some serious material for our reflection about discipleship. The thing is, the culture gets six days a week to fill our hearts and minds with laments about its conditions and our place within it, to whatever degree you may think that. And it's a beautiful thing that Christ says his kingdom is not of this world. So that when we come together as Christians as the people of God, as the kingdom of God, we don't have to let our minds linger on the same worldly things, the same worldly kingdoms that burden our minds all week long. God invites us to step away from all of that and be reminded of the glorious beauty of His majestic presence That surpasses whatever is going on around us. This day, today, is about something bigger and better than even the best thing you have or could want to see happen in the kingdoms out there. This is the throne room of God Himself as we encounter our living Maker and Redeemer. Psalm 23 tells us that that God sets a table for us in the midst of our enemies. The promise that lifts our hearts isn't that everyone who is against God's people quits troubling us. It doesn't make the kingdoms of the world go away. The promise is that God provides a place of reprieve for his people. What a wonderful thing that we we get to celebrate the Lord's Supper today. This meal where, despite how the world surges on around us, despite how the culture is still what it was yesterday and what it will be tomorrow, despite all that, there's great joy as as God sets a table for us in the midst of all that to commune with Him. Because our, our fundamental calling as Christians isn't to focus more on the world. Our fundamental calling as Christians is to know the Lord. Whatever the things jumbling about around us are at the Lord's right hands, there are fullness of joy forevermore. Christ is about providing joy for his people. And that joy comes directly from his contact with us. Not for what he does in the things going on around us. And, and the question left dangling from all of this about how, how Christ provides joy, right? Is about how Christ provides joy. If we see that he gives us this reason to boil over in rejoicing, well, what are those reasons for, for pursuing it, for having it? What fills our hearts in such a way? So that brings us to our second point. The reason... Of Jesus' majesty, the reason of Jesus' majesty. Isn't it amazing, right here in this passage, that in the midst of a, a sizable crowd, Jesus took this deaf, mute man aside privately? I mean, he, here was the opportunity for spectacle, fanfare, and wide approval. If, if Jesus would just help this guy in public view. He had the opportunity for the the full healing revival, right? Didn't he? If, if Christ, Christian healing was supposed to be, the public dazzle of walking through the crowd, touching people impersonally so that they, they fall over, supposedly heal. Well, well, here was Jesus' open door. And as we ought to know, however, Jesus wasn't interested in charlatan tactics, but in the spiritual well-being of people. And so we we find here again jesus infinite compassion. His purpose wasn 't to climb the cultural ladder. his purpose wasn 't to get clout with the most important people in the area, which which would have been the place to do it right here, right now since the Decapolis was the, the center of, of Greek and Roman culture in this part of the Roman Empire. And, and so Jesus showed little interest in grabbing hold of or transforming the culture, but, but great interest in walking right into the, the cultural hot spot and having a personal relationship with a deaf man. Our perception of Jesus' compassion multiplies when we realize what this event tells us about that that running question concerning who Jesus is. Isaiah 35 raised the same issue that, that we're contemplating, right? The rejoicing that comes to us. Beginning, "...the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad." the desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy in singing. And so we're, we're led to ask, well, why such rejoicing? And Isaiah answers, they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of God, promising He will come and save you. And when God's people see the Lord, it it means their salvation, which which causes their rejoicing. And, And what does God do to mark this advent of salvation? Well, Isaiah tells us, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. And the tongue of the mute sing for joy. And as God said He would do that, what does Jesus do here? As Mark has repeatedly impressed upon us, Jesus continually occupies God's role in history, showing us that He is God the Son. God is the one who makes the deaf to hear and the mute to sing. And Jesus is God who brings hearing to those who could not hear and lets the silent have voices full of joy. And so again, we see Jesus' divine majesty. His identity as God the sun shining through and how He takes on actions that only God can do. Jesus' identity as the one who brings healing and restoration to those whom He makes into those people shows us that our rejoicing has the reason of Jesus' majesty. And that brings us to our final point the reason of jesus's compassion the reason of jesus's compassion i i know that i i already raised the point about jesus's compassion in in the previous point about how how christ took aside this culturally igni- insignificant man to focus his divine attention on this person in need and, but we can press further into this reality from another perspective as well and and I want to connect the dots between God's promise to open deaf ears and to give voice to the mute with specifically Jesus' role to save his people we we in some ways, rightly and understandably so, take for granted the idea of Jesus. We take for granted Jesus' presence in history because as Christians, well, he shapes our whole understanding of our faith and how God rescued us. And that's all well and good. We can take a, a step back to see the wider context of God's immense compassion for his people, though, and, and see how there's a, a way in which, well, the surprise of that reality, of Christ coming to history, ought to amaze us and really take us aback. I and mean, there's a simple question, I think, here, right? For, for this man in particular, for Isaiah's promise— Uh, couldn't God stay in heaven and open deaf ears? Couldn't God act from afar if he had wanted just distributing the needed help from, from the heavenly throne room? And of course, the answer is that he well could have done so. He could heal this person from heaven. He could do that still. But what did God do? When he could have healed this deaf man from heaven, God the Son stepped into history in our nature so that he could have human fingers to put physically in this man's ears. God came to earth so that he could pull this man aside on his own so that this man who could hear nothing would hear the direct voice of God himself. Isn't it amazing that God is not content to remain afar from his people. Moses entreated God not even to let his people go to the promised land, the place of blessing, if he would not remain present with them. And God answered and remained present with his people. And so, in Jesus Christ, God remains And comes all the more to be present with his people. God stepped into history. Because we need the Lord. And we need not only renewal, but forgiveness and restoration. And we need the Lord's nearness. Christ came and touched this man. There could be no nearer way to be with him. And Jesus, in all of this, demonstrates God's heart to be near to you, believer. Jesus' act of healing this deaf man in this way shows also what he does for us all. We need to know that Jesus came to give all his people ears to hear the lord what does john 10 3 and 4 say the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out when he has brought out all his own he he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice Jesus' sheep know His voice. His voice. Because we hear Him. We hear Him as He, by the Spirit, summons us to faith in Him. As we take hold of Him by faith, we take hold of all that it means to be brought near to God because Christ has the fullness of of forgiveness of sin, through His cross, the guarantee of everlasting life through His resurrection, reconciliation with God because of all His work, and the right to speak to God because Christ is our mediator, interceding in heaven for us right now. Hearing Jesus' voice is also taking hold of Jesus for, for all that He is For his people, and just as Jesus addressed this man and opened his ears, be opened, his all encompassing work says the same thing to the doors of heaven be opened so my people can come in. And Jesus' coming near to us is not done and dusted in the past. We're about to eat the Lord's Supper. And although there's need and summons to examine ourselves and repent of our, our sin to take this meal, the reason this meal has that summons is because it's a means of grace where Jesus comes near to us again. God was not content to remain afar, and so he came in the Son's incarnation. God is still not content to remain afar. And so He comes to meet us, to commune with us at His table. And so we come rejoicing to this meal because Jesus comes near to us here. It's a place where the Lord has compassion for all who come knowing their need of Him. It's a gift of the gospel, a tangible token where we know what it means to receive Christ. Whereas the ears of our hearts need to be opened to hear the voice of Christ, the mouth of our hearts needs to be fed by Jesus. And that's why so many of our theologians have called this meal a visible sermon because it tangibly proclaims the same gospel that the Scripture describes. Receive Jesus and have communion with the Lord. And I hope, I hope you hear the voice of Christ in this bread and this cup. Because he is telling every believer about how your sins are forgiven and how he is glad to be near to you. Let's pray. Father God, we know that loneliness and disconnectedness um, plagues our world today. We know that so many people hurt because they feel uh, alone by themselves. Uh, They don't have family that cares uh, in the way that they need at least. And this is the pandemic across the globe that our race knows. And so we are thankful that you have not left us alone, O Lord. That you, you have come near to us. You have sent the Son. God, the Son, come in our midst to be near to us, to touch us, to die for us, to rise from the grave and live forever to intercede for us. And he comes near to us now to meet us in this bread, in this cup. And so we pray that we know your work in our midst now, that we would be strengthened, that we would be fed, and that we would hear. We ask it all for the sake of the Lord Jesus. Amen.